Hi, and welcome to Archery Ops Podcast, brought to you by Gold Tip Arrows and Beastinger Stabilizers. On each episode, we talk to top experts in archery and bow hunting about what it takes to shoot better and hunt better, target after target, hunt after hunt, shot after shot. I'm your host, Tim Gillingham. Let's roll. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Tim Gillingham, uh, host of Archery Ops Podcast, and I have none other than the great Ted Nugent with me today. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the show. This is our fifth episode of the new Archery Ops Podcast. I'm sure you'll pick up something, you know, that's useful, probably a lot that's not, but I'm sure we'll all be enlightened by the end of this podcast. Welcome, Ted. I feel welcome, Tim. I just Googled Tim Gillingham, and you and I, son, you and I deserve each other. I understand that you have been a mystical flight of the arrow blood brother for many, many years. So I'm I'm honored to be here with you. You are the real bow hunting bullseye archer. God bless you, man. Congratulations. Well, thank you. You know, we've actually we've actually met a couple of times at the trade show, and you were actually out here years ago with a bunch of guys. We brought in you and Levi Morgan and stuff. We had a little 3D shoot. I don't know if you remember that, but... Uh... Uh, not only do I remember, let me tell you what I remember. I remember that somebody said, we're going to have a photo shoot with gold tip arrows. So I had my tour bow that I shoot at 15 feet on stage every night. And it was a zebra stripe bow. It was a bow to shoot 34 inch arrows at a flaming guitar at 15 feet. I had no idea we were going to shoot 3D courses. So I attempted to shoot the 3D course with a rock and roll stage bow and embarrassed uh, living hell out of myself because i'm not that bad of a shot well see i was always wondering because i heard all the rumors man i'm like come on he's got to be better than that it was <laughs> i was using us they told me we we're going to do a photo session nobody mentioned a word that we're actually oh, shoot much all right well hey that, you got an out then anyway so but uh you know i've been a big fan of yours uh I love what you do in the industry. I love how you support the industry. I love how you support our heritage, our freedom, you know, because without our freedom, we have nothing else. Right. You know, I have a lot of friends that, you know, they talk a lot about uh, I'm not into politics and this and that. Well, if you're not into politics, you better get into politics or someday you're going to be owned. But uh, we're going to try to stay away from that subject a little bit today, but it's always going to get there. It's, it's, I think a prerequisite of everything else we do because, you know, freedom allows us to do what we do you know well i gotta tell you i've got a comment i've got a comment on everything because i'm 75 years clean and sober and my heart is shattered at the condition of our country right now so let me just end the political statement thusly and it's irrefutable and i would dare anybody to debate me tim anybody you've ever met that dared to say i'm not into politics well, then you should probably swim south from Key West and go live in Cuba where you're not allowed to be in politics. Archery, bow hunting, private property rights, wildlife ownership by we the people, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the entire Constitution, the entire American dream is based on the politics of we the people experimenting in self-government. And the reason this horrible demonic freak is in the White House is because friends that we have were so embarrassed that they said we're not into politics. Well, I give you Joe Biden. That's your that's your that's your trophy for not being into politics. So exactly. that that's what I've always done because they attacked me for eating venison and carrying a gun. And oh, eating sure. venison and carrying a gun are the two of the most perfect things a person can do. Yeah, so I fought yeah. back. So anybody that's not fighting back, you're bending over and you should be ashamed yeah. of yourself. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, 
you know, it, it, it boils down to, you know, I think more and more people grow up in a, in a lifestyle in the city and they don't understand. And, and I've had friends that basically tell me they have friends that have never owned a car. And so they get a car and they drive across the United States and they get awakened as to the rest of reality. And, uh, but anyway, let's get, let's get straight into kind of our first topic. Um, I know you're not the technical guru in archery that I am, but I'm curious because I, there's this big movement in archery or well, not movement, but it's, the internet allows people to have voices, some of them that shouldn't. And, uh, you know, there's 110 different ways to kill a white-tailed deer with a bow. And it, it's not rocket science. It doesn't take a lot of, you know, technical expertise. But let's just talk a little bit about your setup, because I know you're a low poundage guy. Is there a reason for that? Or you just, you, know, you hurt your shoulder? Did, did Or you always just shot 50, 60 pounds, uh, you know, for your hunting application? Well, first of all, when I started, I think I had the first world record gland slam of uh, stuffed animals in the living room with suction cupped arrows. I mean, yeah. I've been shooting a bow and arrow since I could walk. It was yeah. kind of like a, a neck and neck race for bow and arrow supremacy and guitar supremacy. So I've always pursued these two really driving forces in my life. So I go all the way back to the beginning when uh, it was just handed off from Ishii and Pope and Young to the Fred yeah. Bear and the, and the Ben Pearsons and the, and the, the uh, uh, Howard Hills of the world. I was a big fan of those guys, as was my dad. I've got my dad's original longbow right behind me here. And uh -huh. it was 60 pounds at 28 inch draw. And I was raised shooting as Fred and everybody said correctly, you should shoot as heavy a bow as you can shoot comfortably and accurately. Correct. Well, I started out with, you know, 40 pound recurves when I was a teenager and I killed a lot of deer with, in fact, I've got my, my 15 pound U wood longbow that I shot in 1955 with my cousin, Mark, you know, coons and possums and skunks and lots of squirrels and rabbits and a lot of quail. Yeah. We had a quail in Detroit, literally it was, a fascinating time along the Rouge River. So I've always been an instinctive archer. I shot like Fred. I canted my bow forever. And it took me a while as I resisted trying to compound because the first one I saw was on the Incompadre National Forest in Colorado in 72 when uh, uh, Butterfield, his name was uh, Butterfield. Is it Larry Butterfield? No, it was the guy who built the brute for uh, uh, Pete Shepley. I can't okay. remember first name but it was a real clanging noisy <laughs> outrageous contraption and of yeah. course i was seeped in tradition trying to be cochise and fred bear sure. so we were most of us were offended by that and not not correctly because you shouldn't resist an electric guitar just because you've been playing a, an acoustic guitar but i resist for a long time till in 76 1976 i was shooting i've got the bow right here it's a 55 uh bear kodiak and Tim, and as you well know, you know, this subject has to come up in every archery conversation. Target panic! <laughs> I was so fluid. I could hit that squirrel every time way up in that oak tree. I, I couldn't miss. I, I lived for that next arrow. You know, I, I suppose I used a vari variation of the gap method because I could see the arrow under my eye. Right. Hence, by using white arrows like Fred and Ben Pearson and Howard did, they, they like to see the mystical flight of the arrow with the big sure. flight. Um, but well, I, I started panicking 
in October of 76, I thought my life was over. I couldn't get that bow down on the target. I froze above the target. I, but Tim, this is why God loves me so specially. I was able to call Fred. I called Fred and I said, something's happening. I'm scared to death. What is this? I didn't know what the term was. He goes, well, it's called target panic. It's an extreme version of buck fever. And it's a psychological <laughs> malady that mm -hmm. strikes most archers. Um, and he said, Fred told me that he went through it, uh, it when he was the state champ for roving, for, for field archery. Um, right. And he said he developed and You're going to love this story. His buddy bought. I don't I hope you don't mind me getting elaborate answers here. Oh, no, that's fine. These memories are so exciting to me. So Fred said that he also froze above the target. And so he tried to change his style and start way below the target. He put matchsticks on the, the face of his bow as a reference point. I tried all this stuff. But he said that Bob Munger says, so you're you're just th throwing your bow hand, huh, Fred? Of course, Fred's bow hand was, was his right hand. And he did go from right-handed to left-handed because of target panic. And I'm going to get to what, wow. I, what I set up is today because it's a long journey, 75 years. I'm 75 years old this year. And so the, I'm sure the listeners of uh, Tim and Ted's archery celebration here for Gold Tip Arrows will love this story. That Bob Munger was a smart ass. Fred was a smart ass. I'm a smart ass. I have a feeling you're a smart ass because people that have avidity, exuberance, and 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 passion for a given endeavor, especially the mighty bow and arrow, we we get a little cocky on occasion. It was very cocky around the Fred Bear campfire all those years. I my what memories. So Bob Munger took a bear razor head out of Fred's bow quiver. And says, so you throw your your bow hand, huh? He goes, draw back and shoot that target. And when Fred drew back, Bob put that razor sharp broadhead under Fred's head. <laughs> and I won't I won't repeat the the verbiage from the street that Bob used. He goes, well, throw your hand now, mum. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's a psychological journey. My psychological journey is that I got over it slowly. Fred said, you got to go to an ultra lightweight draw and stand right five feet from the target and shoot a big paper plate with a little circle on it. And so I did the bail remedy and I did the psyche remedy. Long story short, even my short stories are long. Um, today I shoot a 46 pound Matthews and I, and I am a big fan of all the mad scientists in the archery industry. The bows are just mystical tools these days. The bows can outshoot us. And that wasn't always the case. We had to adapt in the flexibility, especially shooting without sights and using fingers and tabs and whatnot. Sure. So today I'm shooting a 46-pound bow because I am old. I, I've just wrapped up another 38-gig uh, rock-and-roll fire-breathing tour, and I, I'm a very active guy. I'm always picking up bales and picking up dogs, and I'm, I work, and I work on fences and feeders and trucks and picking up deer. I've hung up 14 whitetails this year already, but I find that I have discovered after all these years, and, and again, I've been doing this for 70 plus years, that grace and smoothness in to prepare for the shot keeps those animals from becoming alert. Right. 
And and I can come back to full draw without any lateral movement. And like Ann Hoyt killed everything in North America with a 35-pound recurve and a 600-gram cedar arrow and a two-blade sure. MA2 and a bear razor head and a Zwicky or whatever. Shot, shot my first deer with a bear razor head. Sure. Well, I've shot a hundred. I've shot two hundred with the bear razor. Yeah. The the point is today, I feel I can shoot a seventy pound bow, but I have to grunt a little bit. I got to lift it up, right? And I still shoot my recurves. My recurves are thirty thirty eight pounds now, and my wife Shemaine shoots a thirty pound Matthews, and Tim, she kills six hundred pound Oryx with a complete pass through. 400 grain yeah. gold what? tip, the two-blade broadhead, waiting for a, a window to the crease. And luckily, she gets in between the ribs. Big 300-pound Awadad, a lot of whitetails, big swamp donkeys here in Michigan, over 250 pounds, because she waits for the shot. She comes back gracefully, waits for that crease to be exposed, and she puts that arrow in the crease. So my hunting is a huge power and my happiness and my quality of life and i like to be comfortable i get in some really squirrely torque creating tree stand positions in my swamp here yeah. and and i want to come back gracefully and i i shoot a two-blade broadhead though i do shoot schwackers and some mechanicals that even i don't know how fast my arrows are going i shoot a 400 grain 30 inch gold tip and 100 grain sometimes 125 grain broadheads but i wait for the shot and i am the czar of ambushing i've i've got like 50 stands on my 1200 acre swamp here and i i rotate them so i never wake the deer up you know what i mean right i, I don't let them know i'm in the neighborhood by approach and i love it so much that i've learned over the years the strategy the ambushing considerations and the grace i think archery in its finest moment is graceful and stealthy and yeah, I, you know what's funny about that is you can have all the expertise there's so many innovations in 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 rifles and muzzle loaders i mean i got a buddy building yeah. muzzle loaders there you know he was going to go shoot the king of two mile with with a muzzle loader for crying out loud i know <laughs> and uh you know they, they kind of try to compare archery the innovations in archery to to the the rifle and the muzzle loading world but it's it's not you know and and i'm as experienced as they get i can shoot groups like that at a hundred yards but i just come off of a 13 day elk hunt where i just work my living guts out and i never even got a shot i mean it's just there's still so much indian involved in hunting with a bow i mean yeah. they know you're there they smell you they you still have to get the range and the draw i almost got a bull one day and you know he was going to feed out behind this this tree and all of a sudden he didn't and he took off down the hill a little bit and I stopped him and then, you know, it, it's just not the same game. And it's, and uh, it doesn't matter what the innovations is still bow hunting. doesn't matter what you use. There's kind of a lot of ego in this sport in terms of, you know, machismo and I got to shoot the whole ranch fairy 600 grain arrow with a 300% <laughs> FOC. And it's, it's just kind of insane. You know, it's good to see and refreshing to see the opposite end of the spectrum where you and your wife are shooting lower poundage setups. Now, when I make recommendations for these lower weight setups and lower poundage setups, it's always a two blade. It's always uh, yeah. typically a Magnus Stinger. I, I, I've i got some friends that 
wives have shot a lot of elk and stuff and they they have really good success with 300 grain arrows and magnus stinger you know so you know that's 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 refreshing to hear and and you know bow hunting is still about the hunt you know it's more about the hunt than any other you know aspect and i think the most important thing i've found is that uh, you know i i could just shut down i could finish my tour and just go hunting but shemaine and i produced the ted nugent spirit of the wild show for 34 years now right. and i've been writing articles and i do media every day all around the world and i never do an interview about my tour or a new record or about politics without mentioning the soul cleansing lifestyle of hunting yeah, particularly bow hunting. I always promote it. And what I found is when I, 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 I have campfires every weekend, September, October, November, and then for my birthday in December in Texas and New Year's. My point is every year with my sunrise safaris, I share campfires every year with hundreds of hunting families. They book these hunts with me. We hunt hogs and goats and rams and whitetails. We have a campfire. I play the Fred Bear song, and it's a shit kicker celebration. And a lot of them that have gone to crossbows, which is great. Whatever gets in the wood, crossbows, I love you. But a lot of guys end up with a crossbow because they can't shoot their bow. They can't draw their bow because their bow is at 70 pounds because 99% of the bows in the shops are 70 pounds. Yeah. And you got to be a strong, you got to practice that muscle. That That's yeah. a muscle you don't use for anything else. And yeah. I've got so many people. And again, if you shoot with crossbow, I love you madly. But a lot of them give up the joys of drawing that bow. That's the joy. Can right. you come to full draw in the close range presence of the beast? That's the highest of highs. Yeah, and I've got so yeah. many of them to pursue their their standard bow and arrow because that we I proved to them that you don't need 70, you don't need 60, you don't need 50. If you can draw back a 35, 40-pound bow, hell, Fred Eichler is a killing machine. He shoots a 40-pound recurve. Right. Um, again, I have so many examples of people that are su super successful at bow hunting with lightweight, graceful. It should be, it should be effortless. It's shot placement, stealth, and timing. And and I've I'm so proud that a lot of these guys get back into bows and arrows and gals and young people because they didn't know. Nobody at the archery shop told them you can kill big game all day long with 35 pounds shot. Yeah. Here I use a steel force. This is the it's almost a Howard Hill type. Uh, I always, yeah, I always tell people, use the litmus test, shove that thing through your hand, which one will go through easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's the litmus test. So yeah, I think that's important. The name of the game is to promote the sport, get more people involved because the attrition and the lack of political participation right. is the suicide of our sport. I get this question a lot. How important are my stabilizers? Well, stabilizers probably one of the most important things on my bow. Its job is to control the motion before, during, and after the shot. That helps us hold steady. It helps hold the bow still while the bow is loading and unloading from full draw to static. And it also controls the bow against our mistakes, so it makes it more forgiving. With B-Stinger, you get a lightweight, high modulus bar with vibration dampening built into the bar. This is very critical in terms of getting the most out of your stabilization system. If you want to learn more, check out bstinger.com.
Yeah, my 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 daughter's boyfriend. He's uh, he's killed a bigger deer than me, but he's only killed one. You know, but anyway, he seems like a pretty good guy, and I got him his first bow, and we we haven't even got it set up yet. But he's like, well, I I kind of feel like. You know, bow hunting and hunting is one of them sports that you have to, you know, be brought along and, and taught. And that's going to kind of lead us into my second question is, you know, how do we preserve and promote the outdoor lifestyle? And, and you know, I get this question a lot at attendance at archery tournaments and stuff. And I said, well, it's very simple math. Okay. We have 350 people here, right? If each and every one of you brought one person next time, we'd have 700. Okay. So it's not going to happen by itself. You know, you got to get these kids out of their their uh, video game lifestyle and you got to get them out there and experience that because, you know, there's nothing like the peace of landing in a float plane in the middle of Alaska. Amen. But they will never even like consider something like that. And 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 I think what it does to to men, I think men in particularly need that confidence in themselves you know they need that confidence that they that 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 going out into the wilderness provides you know that that you know you're fending for yourself you've you've got all these things that can trip you up and kill you and 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 you persevered you know that there's a lot of uh you know freedom of spirit in that i i would say you know i'd say it's the ultimate freedom of spirit i i know i did my first alaska adventure in 77 and I got this beautiful 39-inch moose, and I got a big 390-inch caribou and a giant awesome. black bear. And then I went to Africa in 78, and I did a real foot safari like Teddy Roosevelt's with porters, and we walked through the Sudan, and they almost That's killed awesome. me. Um, really an amazing, so I've, and I've spent many, many a night on a soggy hillside in a pup tent with a bunch oh, of yeah. Um, But, you know, nowadays, I really value a thermostat and a hot shower. So hey, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I was going to bring that up too. I live out, I've lived out West my whole life, you know? So <laughs> out here, it's so much more difficult to like take a kid hunting. You know, it's so much more difficult to, you know, you know, where you guys live back East and stuff, it, it'd be nice just to go out in the afternoon and sit in the tree stand and experience nature where here you kind of got to plan it. You know, it's, it's an, it's an endeavor, you know, and, and there's there's less game and becoming more and more people all the time. It seems like, you know, you got to draw a tag to do anything anymore. I mean, it took me 16 years to draw a tag for a state of Utah for elk. You know, is and- that crazy? It took me 16 years to draw a tag in Michigan on our northern swamp, and uh, that number. So th- let me address the overview of how do we keep this conservation responsibility. It's, it is a sport because it's challenging as hell. It is recreation because it does recreate our spirit. We we must plunge into the healing powers of God's miraculous nature to really be a fulfilled human being. And you're talking about the man. I have effervescent masculinity, by the way, uh, because I take care of my family. I will shoot intruders. I kill my own game. I butcher my own game. I change my own oil. I try to be as self-sufficient. And that is a spiritual power, manliness. And my wife, Shemaine, is as dainty and, and and feminine as they get. By the way, the beautiful thing about my life, in my life, there are only two things, men and women, no, no confusion. And right. my wife is effervescent <laughs> femininity, but she has fallen in love 
with the outdoors, especially the bow and arrow. And so I will use my experience in getting this city girl from Detroit who had never touched a bow. She'd already been bombarded with the brainwashing of animal rights and anti-hunting propaganda. Everybody is. That's one of the big curses that we've faced because people aren't into politics. And when they hear anti-hunting and animal rights stuff, they kind of go, well, I'm not into politics. Well, they just won. You're not into politics. And the people that hate your lifestyle, they just kicked your ass. Have a nice day, dirtbag. Anyhow, the point is um, (laughs) gentle. My 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 grandsons and my granddaughters, they love the outdoors. Some have cling cl- have, have grabbed on to the hunting, the guns, the bows and arrows, the patience, the the boredom sometimes of a blind sit. I hope I can get them into a wilderness setting because it really does it it does propel the spirit of self-sufficiency. Yeah. And I think that that is such a, a that is condemned now. It's condemned by our government. Self-sufficiency is condemned by big tech. Self-sufficiency is condemned by Hollywood. Self-sufficiency is condemned by uh, academia. I mean, the, all the biggest yeah. megaphones, the biggest powers, the biggest voices hate hunting, hate farming hate real environmentalism, which is farming and ranching and hunting and fishing right. and shopping. So the, re- the, the two-prong attack is recruitment. And you're right. If everybody, I do it. I've had a Ted Nugent Camp for Kids charity for 33 years. We've graduated tens of thousands of children, mostly inner city kids, um, into the mystical flight of the arrow. Discipline, the joys of getting that next arrow closer to the bullseye, slingshot marksmanship, firearms marksmanship, trapping, fishing. And all of a sudden, these city kids who think it's boring and hokey, the minute that bobber goes down in the pond, they they fall in love with it. So it's about making sacrifices, those that, of us that love it, and giving up a little of our time to reach out to that neighbor's kid, reach out to the school friends of your your sons and daughters, your grandkids. We have to make that effort. But equally important, probably more important, is fighting against the bureaucrats who will take our tax dollars to shoot our bears and lions in Colorado and California. They'll shoot our bears in Michigan, our wolves in Michigan, Minnesota. They'll take our tax dollars and and slaughter these animals, forbidding us to utilize, instead of King George owning the wildlife, we the people own it. And people that aren't into politics gave up that ownership and gave it to the bureaucrats. So that's the fighting. We have to fight for reasonable science-based, sustained yield wildlife management regulations, and we have to recruit new people. And that's why I push lightweight bows. We have to retain those older guys like me. A lot of guys my age ain't in shape like I am because they haven't done 6,925 concerts, which I did last weekend. Um, So retention, recruitment, and crushing the bureaucrats who make those wildlife resources unavailable to us uh, is unbelievable. Did you just see where uh, they got bipartisan support against a bill in the House where they were trying to take money away from anything hunting and archery related. And we fought back and won. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's absolutely nuts. There was a time and I, I, it was a few years ago in Colorado where they, they put, I don't remember what 
they they voted some person into power and they voted against them, you know, their constituency on, on a gun issue. And two guys, two guys organized, went out and got enough signatures to put them on the ballot. It came a big issue and they threw the bums out. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta fight, you know, you gotta fight back. You gotta, you know, they've made us feel powerless. You know, they, they, they've attempted to make us feel, you know, powerless in, in that fight. And they haven't made me feel powerless. I've got more power than ever. I raise, yeah. I've got every bureaucrat on the run. I can give an example in all 50 States, Tim, where I'm involved. I hope we can put on the screen at some point, hunternation.org. Hunternation.org sees these anti-hunting bureaucrats try to implement anti-science, anti-wildlife, anti-freedom regulations. And we show up and we fight back. We got, I can, I could give you a hundred examples how I stopped insane laws. When I started bow hunting, it was against the law to bow hunt from a tree. Well, what man could possibly think he has control over my tree climbing? You don't have any say. And there's still states you can't hunt on Sunday. What kind of soulless punk could tell another free American what they yeah. do on Sunday during the natural God season of harvest? So these mm -hmm. are the these are the focal points. Yes, we can talk about kinetic energy and 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 velocity and, and aim small, miss small, which is all important. And you've got down to a science, and I salute you on that. But politics is number one. Right now, they're trying to gear, burn tax dollars in California to go in with helicopters and slaughter the mule deer on Catalina Island instead of just opening the damn season. And there's examples of that in every state regarding wolves and deer and black wow. bear and grizzly bears. Grizzly bears are overpopulated in right. Montana and Wyoming. Case closed. How about how about Ted Nugent, the old goofy guitar player? How about I look in the camera here and challenge all the game departments? in Montana and Wyoming, all the bureaucrats, I dare you to debate me on this podcast or any podcast and tell me how the grizzly bear is not ready to have an open season. If you yeah, don't have a season I, on grizzly bears, you're a liar. Well, it's the people in Washington, D.C. It's the people that have no contact, no, no, no contact with nature in general. You know, they don't have any like basis of understanding, but emotionally they think it's a bad thing. Oh, uh, and well, I think it's worse than that, Tim. I think they're corrupt. I think they're dishonest. Yeah. They're 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 power monsters. And, and not only that, but it's not just Washington, D.C. We got guys, reps, senators and congressmen in Wyoming and Montana that know damn well that the grizzly bear is in the liability column. You right. just have to open the season, put, have a natural surplus harvest. And all of a sudden, the grizzly bears will be reduced, especially the old boars, which are the most aggressive. And right. the sows are protecting their cubs have moved into marginal habitat because we're not harvesting the big headed boars, which would. Tim, it's like I'm talking to Pierce Morgan about the Second Amendment. These yeah. people are just dishonest and corrupt. The wolf season should be opened in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan tonight. They should open the black bear season and the and use bait and hounds in Colorado and 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 every, everywhere. And, it, right yeah. now, these wildlife, these precious 
uh, wildlife resources are forced into the liability column by dishonest, corrupt bureaucrats who have no idea what they're doing. And the ones that do aren't fighting back. That's called politics. We're in trouble because Americans aren't into politics. You know, one of the best statements I heard the other day, guys like we're we are a country with a government, not a government with a country. You know? Yep. Just and, the opposite uh, of the founding we have to, Yeah, we have to look at it in that aspect. It's like they, they work for us, not the other way around. So my wife's from Argentina. And when I met my wife, the peso was three to one to the dollar. She just came back. It's 800 to one. Yep. You know, and they have no, these people have no way of fighting back. You know, they have no way of protecting anything. And it's interesting. They have a lot of resources down there, you know, hunting resources, but nobody partakes in them. Yeah, yeah. Well, number one, just doing this podcast, Shemaine and I have a Real America's Voice. People, I think it's realamericasvoice.com, isn't everything? Um, but I have a spirit campfire every Friday night, and it's an hour long, and I raise hell. I have fun. I, I maximize the positive because mm-hmm. in order to maximize good, you have to fight the bad and the ugly. So I spend equal time celebrating all the good because there's still a lot of good. I just had the greatest tour of my life. I'm I'm having the greatest hunting season of my life. My kids, my family, my band, my crew, my dogs, even though Happy's not well enough to duck hunt this year, so we're going through a little, a little um pain and suffering right now but there are so much good but you need to expand the good by fighting the bad and the ugly so there's a real america's voice spirit campfire shemaine has one called faith and freedom and again we promote bow hunting we promote archery we promote conservation we promote entrepreneurship we promote all the good stuff while we attack the corrupt bureaucrats that fight against all these basic good things which I believe in my life between rock and roll guitar and the mystical flight of the arrow, that's the source of my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness right there. All right. Well, that's, uh, you know, I think anybody that knows Ted Nugent knows what he stands for. Um, You know, I'd encourage our listeners to go and, you know, visit your website and those links, you know, for the, you know, the positive things that you do, if they want to get involved, Um, you know, on another subject, let's, you know, in all the 75 years of bow hunting, you know, let's have a little chat about, you know, what was your, your favorite, you know, what's your favorite animal? What was your favorite trip? You know, cause a lot of hunting, honestly, the older I get, I think is more about the experience that you share with other people. I mean, I just spent 13 days on the mountain. I did not kill an elk. I never worked harder in my life, but I spent it with a 19 year old kid from British Columbia who just wanted to come down and film it. And, uh, I mean, it's just good to know there's kids like that around anymore. I mean, they just that 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 kid had some real mozzi. I mean, he he covered the old man on a couple of those poles out of those fifteen hundred foot vertical climbs <laughs> when I had nothing left. And uh, you know, there's I've always said that the if you look up at the the wall of the animals I have or whatever, it's not the biggest one that's the best trophy. It's the one you work the hardest for. It's the one that you know you were down in the, you know, in the gutter and all of a sudden it happened, you know, so let's, let's get a little uh, understanding of Ted Nugent and what is your favorite experience hunting your favorite animal and, and your overview on that. Well, first of all, I, 
I've been doing it my whole life. I mean, sure. from the time I could follow my dad in the woods up in northern Michigan, um, I've been at a deer camp. I was at a deer camp in 1949. I was 10 months old. <laughs> so I, I wasn't hunting that year, but I, I'm sure I was absorbing the spirit of what my mom and dad were training me to be accountable, to be an asset to family, to gather wood, to gather water, um, to clean up after ourselves, um, learning about, you know, spoor and tracking animals and the, the balance of people and wildlife. Um, the most important lessons in life. So my memory bank is just a, a flutter with unbelievable memories of sharing campfires with Fred Bear and yeah. sharing campfires every weekend with these families that bring their young sons and daughters um, and hear their stories. And they're fascinated by whether it's the rock and roll stuff or the fact that they watch Spirit of the Wild TV. A lot of these kids don't know I play rock and roll. They just think I have a Ted Nugent Spirit of the Wild bull hunting show, which yeah, is obvious. I was kind of a country boy, but I did have a damn Yankee CD. <laughs> Great music, man. I love my music. I All my bands have been the best musicians in the world. So I, I have a button buck on the wall at my northern cabin. It was the first year I shot with my dad's pre-64 Model 70 featherweight 308 with, with iron sights. And it was on November 15th, and I was dressed in the classic red and black uh, 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 Woolrich. And I'm wearing Herman Survivor. How old are you, Tim? I am 54. All right. You might not remember Herman Survivor boots, but I had my Herman Survivor boots on. No, no that was before me. <laughs> That's all we had. There was no lacrosse. Lacrosse hadn't been born yet. My point is, is that these memories, because I've been clean and sober all my life, these it's really graphic. So I, I had never killed a deer. I'd hunted with my dad every year, but we really he wasn't serious about it. It was about the camp. It was about driving north. It was about going to the bar and having a beer with his hunting buddies. We're talking the, the 1950s. I mean, there was just right. a handful. Roy Case had started the season in Wisconsin. Fred Baird started it in Michigan. And it was to a young kid who was hunting squirrels and rats on the Rouge River in Detroit. I mean, I didn't. I played little league a couple times, but I was always down in the river with my bow and arrow. And I, I, I killed small game. We had a lot of quail and pheasants back then, right in the Detroit city limits along the Rouge river. It was like a wilderness experience. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you that first button buck, I killed it and I had no idea how to gut it or anything. And it's mounted. I, I literally drove to a taxidermist and I, I, Pulled up and I said, I have a deer I want mounted. And he came out and looked at it and went, You're gonna mount this? And I go, Yeah, it's a buck. Feel. <laughs> I had him feel <laughs> I had, had him awesome. feel the buttons. Yeah. I have him mounted. And then the next year I got my first yearling doe with a bow, uh, a bear uh, uh Kodiak uh with a Port Orford cedar arrow with the you know the barred turkey feathers and a bear razor head, and that that button buck and that doe, that yearling, I had them mounted. They're on my wall. And it, to me, I, I still get goosebumps. Now I'll tell you, and I've been to Alaska, and I've been to Africa, and I've been to Saskatchewan and New Brunswick and Newfoundland and uh, Montana and Wyoming and Colorado, and I've, I've hunted all over, and it's awesome. So my favorite hunt today, I don't go anywhere. 
I get these wonderful invites, and I'd like to thank everybody if they if they're watching. Thank you. The invitations I get for pronghorn and moose and caribou and grizzlies and black bears and giant black tails and, and I thank you, but I don't go anywhere. I am so fascinated by my Texas property where we live and our Michigan swamp where we're, we spend September, October, and Thanksgiving that I can't wait to go to the next tree stand and see just what the hell might show up because I don't use many trail cameras, so it's always it's yeah. always intriguing. But the greatest hunt, and I've had a bunch of these, and you talk about the 19-year-old kid and, and sharing ideas. He was probably absorbing your, your experience and your wisdom and, and the no knowledge of the mountain wilderness bow hunting challenge. Well, Tim, I was first contacted by a kid when I was a teenager. His name was Jason. And he was dying of cancer, and he got a hold of me through my booking agency, Diversified Management Detroit. I was I had a band called the Amboy Dukes, and he had heard my radio interviews, always talking about hunting, always talking about the, the excitement of squirrel hunting with a pistol and my bow and arrow. He got a hold of my booking agent and said he's dying of cancer, and he wants to go hunting before he dies. Yikes. I was too mushy brain to grasp what that meant i said yeah. yeah sure yeah give me a phone number of course i had to stop at a pay phone <laughs> give me a phone number um and i got i took him out to the uh around uh ann arbor there's state land there and uh we went for a walk in the woods we didn't kill a squirrel but the the dialogue my fascination that a guy who's facing death as a teenager felt my my passion for the the joys of an outdoor hunt and so since that time that's happened with little six-year-old boys seven-year-old little girls 60-year-old grandpas that they contact me and want me to take them hunting before they die i mean i'm i'm pretty good with the english language but there's no words to adequately express the emotion and the the awe that they would choose this goofy guitar player as a companion for their goodbye. And I'm sure people listening can process this information. I've learned to process it, but that they would choose me to take them on a hunt before they die. Good. In the campfires, I share with these little boys and girls. We get them laughing and they know they're dying. They don't, they, they don't live another year. So a couple of them have gone a couple years. But to be so blessed and, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know any other word. Um, honored yeah. honored to to be invited into a family at that difficult time in their life and the 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 tear i'll play the fred bear song and it's the most difficult thing i do in my life to not cry in front of these kids because they want me to play the fred bear song and i play it and 
they cry and their parents cry. Um, I almost cry, but I feel I've got to be strong for them because they're going to go, there's enough crying in their lives. Uh, but those that, that those experiences are in the realm of a hunt. There's no hunt that can compare to that. Right. Um, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's some, a lot of it is just, you know, self-serving at some point, you know, and, you know, I grew up, when I grew up, we, we, we hunted to eat, you know, I don't know that I ate anything but wild game until we were 18, 19 years old. But uh, yeah, that, that's pretty sobering, really. I mean, it really is. It's, it really uh, is. And their parents, um, somehow they, they have vetted me adequately that they would allow that request to be fulfilled which uh which is why the uh the stupidity and the hate from my critics just rolls off my back if those right. parents have decided i qualify for that then you know what i qualify for that so those are and, you know sometimes we don't kill anything sometimes we just catch fish um sometimes we just shoot our bows and arrows um sometimes we shoot the 22 at at, at tin cans um but those are requests to hunt um, before they die. Yeah. Yikes. They, I call my show the spirit of the wild. And I think that's why it's called the spirit of the wild. There's a, there's a spiritual invigoration that you feel on that mountain that you feel uh, you can't wait to get home to the family and the shower. Um, right. That, no doubt, no. Yeah. There, there is a special sensation. Like I say to my friends, when I, come in from a hunt or join a bunch of guys around a campfire getting ready for a hunt. I go pity the people that never feel this because you can't feel it any other way. There's no other endeavor. Now I've never been in the battle. I've never been Normandy beach or Iwo Jima. I've never, I, I, I have kicked down doors as a cop. I've done federal raids with the U S marshals against murderers and rapists and carjackers. Um, so I felt that adrenaline, uh, but I don't think there's anything quite like the uplifting fascination of going into God's miracle and knowing that you're participating in a responsible manner to utilize his renewable miracle, balancing that miracle in preparation for next year's production. And those are the, those are the ways I articulate that in my global media every day or so. And I've had a lot of people, I don't know if you watch my Joe Rogan podcast, but we set world records both times for the number of people that watched. And I, when I go into the explanation of this, in fact, he's become a hardcore hunter because yeah. he pursues truth, logic, and common sense. And right. if you're, you're against hunting, you're against truth, logic, science, common sense, and God's miracle. That seems like it's nice to have guys like him that are big enough where they, they can't cancel them out anymore. And, the, you know, the, the left does its job of trying to cancel anybody that's against them. It's speaking logic and speaking common sense. And, and I think I might know that. Yeah, they've been trying to knock me out forever and they can't. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right I, now, my favorite hunt. People ask me what my favorite animal is. In 2023, I've, I've been around the world. I've hunted the Inverness red stags in Scotland. And my favorite hunt is what do you got broadside at 20 yards looking the other way? What What do you got? That's my favorite <laughs> animal. 
It woodchuck, I'll take it. Squirrel. But I hunt deer. I kill hundreds of whitetails with my bow every year because no. we have to shoot. I'll shoot 50 or 60 on the Michigan swamp because of the slaughter on the roads, the agriculture destruction. And so I've pushed my uh, game department, a bunch of lion monsters, um, to provide me the uh, doe tags. And in Texas, we've got the MLD managed land deer permits. And my buddies that have thousands and thousands of acres of prime wildlife habitat, they don't shoot many does or or young bucks. And that's where Uncle Ted comes in. So I, I hunt every day, September through February. And I, I give up a lot of mornings and afternoons for ducks. But this year I probably won't because the, the dogs aren't in good shape. So I kill a lot of deer and I've learned a lot. And my favorite animal is... Whatever's legal that crosses my path. That's my favorite animal. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things that I, you know, when I was a kid, just a young kid, my granddad lived in Wisconsin and he owned a farm and uh, he had a couple red bone hounds and they were the funnest things. I remember running around a mill yeah. chasing coons and he had a dog that would, that would tree coons and squirrels. And I love squirrel hunting. I don't know. There was just something about following that dog around the woods. <laughs> Tim, my my Catahoula Happy, he's laying down right over here. Yeah. That's, that's Happy over there behind the chair. Yeah. Catahoula Blackmouth Cur is the greatest squirrel coon hunting dog in the history of the world. He's got a voice. He has such a beautiful howl and bark. I can tell by his cadence and tone whether he's looking at it, whether it's a fresh scent, and he up until last year, he would climb trees like a like a leopard. He would climb trees after coons and squirrels. And if there's if he's howling up that tree, there is guaranteed there is a critter <laughs> up there. I just have to find it and shoot it. So that's a big part of my life. We got Happy, Sadie, and Coco. Coco's the world's greatest German Shepherd duck hunter. And yeah. it's, it's just a huge part of my life. So I know we love our bow hunting, but I love it all. I yeah, love I remember reading. I remember reading stories in outdoor life about, I don't know, some famous bear hunter, like in Louisiana swamps. And he would go, this guy was famous for, he could go stick his knife in a tree in the middle of the night in the swamp and he could walk back to it, you know, and okay. um, just crazy stories about people like that. I mean, just, you know the history. Well, I, I couldn't do that. In fact, Tim, I'll tell you a story. Just last week, I got a, no. a fen. Now, a lot of people don't know what a fen is. The guitar player is here to help. A fen, F-E-N, is a unique wetlands that is the the transition from a marsh and a swamp. It has a lot of bottomless black peat, like black snot in yeah. the sand. And I own the largest fen east of the Mississippi, and I have botanists and scientists and biologists come out every year and study my fen, which I have a flourishing population of Christmas tree ferns, which is what the Mitchell Satter butterfly needs, so they say, to breed. So I have real <laughs> biodiversity. And the reason these scientists tell me I have real biodiversity on my fen is because I kill a lot of deer. I kill a lot of critters so that they don't overwhelm the habitat. So wow. in the fen is quicksand. And the other night I shot a beautiful doe, just a beautiful arrow. I, Mr. Right Hand and Mr. Left Hand were working together and Mr. Hand-Eye Coordination and Breathing, and that pin got there, and I went, boom, right into pump station. And, and I heard her crash. 
But where I heard her crash was right where the canal opens up into the fen. Well, I went out there, Tim. Lewis and Clark would not have sent Sacagawea after this deer because it would have been domestic violence or cruel and unusual punishment. But I went into this fen, and that doe died in a tangle of roots and briars and multiflora rows and flooded dogwoods and submerged cattails and it just it I I looked at the blood trail going into this slop and I went, I gotta get her. I gotta <laughs> go. Long story short, I weaseled my way to that dough and I cut some stuff. I had a little saw on my on my pocket knife, and I got in and I got a I gutted her next to the canal because it was about 200 yards back to the knob where I could get the four-wheeler. I'll tell you there at about Nine o'clock at night, I'm in a tangle in a cubby hole where I had to squirrel my shoulders in amongst the roots and stuff, trying to drag this dough. Where I sat down, I was afraid I was going to have a heart attack because I'm sweating profusely. I'm making about a foot every 10 minutes. And I just sat down and I texted my son and my wife and I said, I'm in the fen east of the buck knob. And I've got to rest for a while. Come get me. <laughs> and so <laughs> not that Shemaine could come and get me. She couldn't, she couldn't get through there. Well, she could if she life and death. And it, it was almost that. My point is, is that I don't have to go to the wilds of Alaska or the upper peninsula of Michigan or the wilds of northern Ontario. I got it right here. Bottom line is I did get her out of there. But I had to literally crawl, and I was covered in black. In fact, I used the car wash to hose myself off, and it looked like you just washed off a mud bog uh, winter. There, there was black peat goop all over the driveway. So I get plenty of adventure without leaving home. And here's the beauty yeah, of it. You get to sleep I in walk, your own bed, huh? I, I have a <laughs> shower and clean yeah. I think the older the older you get, the more appealing that is. You know, I love showers and clean sheets. And Shemaine has this wonderful meal ready for me, so I am a spoiled brat. But I did earn it. I went. I was. I was a little scared. If I didn't have a compass on my phone, I I I would have thought I'd gone the wrong way. But oh, I there, yeah, that's, I get uh, turned around. Technology. I, I got speaking of that squirrel dog. I got chasing that damn squirrel dog around in the fog when I was a kid and boy, I got lost. I ended up two counties over, I think so. <laughs> Scary. I've done that. Yeah. In fact, that's why in my pocket right now, I've got a 10 millimeter, four magazines. I got a pocket knife, a belt knife, a belt tool. I got a clean handkerchief. I got um, guitar picks and a military challenge coin. I've got, um, I've got I've got a lighter. I don't smoke, but I always have since 1968 when I killed that buck. I got so turned around in a blizzard that I didn't have anything to survive with, and I luckily got out. But I'll you'll never find me without that lighter. I've got I got band aids in my wallet. I got fire starter. In my, no matter where I am, I everything I just mentioned. I will have. I got my law enforcement credentials. I got a char fully charged phone. I got reading glasses. So I've learned in my world. I, where I where I thought I was going to die a couple times because I got lost, and so I'll never get lost again. And if I do, I can build a home and a fire. Perfect. Well, we've kind of hit the end of this uh, 
time allotment for the podcast. It's been great, Ted, a good conversation. And I think people will enjoy it. And I, I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing you, you know, at trade show or, you know, I'm sure we'll, so. we'll meet again. Uh, but I appreciate again, all you do for our sport, our country, um, especially uh, the way you get out and really defend, you know, what is true and just. And uh, with that, we're going to, we're going to leave this uh, archery ops podcast and, you know, wish you the best of luck for the rest of the hunting season. I've got a kick butt hunting in Africa. I'm going to in December, kind of a friend of a friend. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, uh, experience something new. So, well, may the mystical flight of your arrows forever fly true. There's not a day in my life I don't get back in here. Boy, I wish you could see that bullseye. Um, but I've <laughs> got it down pretty good as an old man. I aim small, miss small. But everybody out there, um, if you got target panic, reduce your poundage. Start shooting mm-hmm. right up close to your target, like within feet of the target, and make Mr. Right Hand become one with Mr. Left Hand. And I have a mantra. My mantra just now in my head, when I came to full draw just now, I wasn't on this podcast. You were not here. There was no world. I'm saying to myself, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, now. And if you can get that shot sequence nailed down, and I'm sure as a champion, you you, I do, you know, something, I do something very similar. I just think smaller, smaller, yep. smaller. Literally, you say it in your head. You literally yeah. say it, don't you? Yeah, especially when I'm having, if I'm having any anticipation issues. Sure. Yeah, you've Not got sure. you've got to leave the archery moment and become the spirit of the path of your. You know, a lot of people don't realize that archery is the origins of the the religion Zen. It is the definitive martial arts, and you got to get all your gifts from God to work as one. And that's why I have that mantra, not yet, not yet. I I use a thumb release sometimes, and I use a trigger release sometimes. Uh, Was it... uh, uh, somebody told me to do that sometime. And and I say, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not there. And that's that. Yeah, it's the subconscious just allows yeah. it to happen. So yeah. if everybody gets, you know, I, I read a book years ago. Uh, it was called, you know, in dealing with target panic. And it's basically a panic attack is what it is. And this book was called Panic Away. And they give you some really useful tools in there to 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 learn how to fight that but with that i better wrap this up or all right tim got have a lot of but i i'm really happy you agreed to come on uh hope this podcast you know takes off when we get to learn one of the one of the things that you know goals that i have is to create a a uh a website and youtube channel called i can archery and that's to to leave with people the uh confidence that they can work on their own equipment they can learn this stuff and and I'm going to teach you how to do it. So uh, well, on my podcast, I have a real America's voice uh, spirit campfire. I'm going to have you on. I'm going to get Levi Morgan on because I always I always mm-hmm. my bow on all my podcasts. I always talk about the the hand eye spirit coordination, the discipline, the joys of that bullseye, not just an archery, but the bullseye in life. Because if you can make a bullseye with an arrow, that discipline and that organizational sure. skill, that exactly. focus, it it'll it'll make everything in your life better so i'm going to have you on my podcast at some point perfect perfect all right man all right well, have thanks for having me on tim good luck hunting this year kill another 20 yeah i'm your backstrap daddy all righty 
See ya. Adios, man. Godspeed. Hey, before you go, there's a great way to get even more info and tips. Follow this podcast and check out Goal Tip on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. And as always, start tough and stay true.